Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our series, Forgotten Virtues. In a world that is constantly changing, there are principles that do not. In this series, we will look at four forgotten virtues and how we can live them out in today's world. Again, if you're a guest, we want to say welcome home. If you're tuning in online or listening to our podcast, we want to thank you for coming and being a part of our message here today. We've been in a series called Forgotten Virtues. And I'm saying that this series is probably the most important series that we've ever been a part of as part of our church. And I mean that church, and I'm not trying to overstate it, but because we live in a world that's constantly changing. <laughs> now I'm scared. Do you want to come preach with me? <laughs> yeah. We love Amy. You're awesome. In a world today that's constantly changing, what are those things that should never change? What are those things that should stay the same no matter what? And again, God's word is just as relevant today as it's ever been. And so each week we've gone through this series, we're unpacking these timeless virtues that we say these are important and we need to be the light in darkness. Now here's an interesting thing about this series. If you can see this graphic here, many of you know that I planned these series well in advance. Um, we had the series planned before we even knew anything was going to be happening with our move or anything. But I find it really interesting that, that this graphic is an old church, right? And, and, and it's a building. And, and I find it really funny. I think God was probably sitting in heaven smiling when he knew that this was going to be our final series here at Minerva's. And we're going to be moving to 310 Long. Isn't that interesting, right? For three years we've been talking about, hey, when are we going to get a building? Well, God provided that, didn't he, church? But here's the thing we don't want to ever forget. Church is never a building. It's always a body. We've been saying that over and over again. You've heard me say that multiple times. And I really think beyond anything else, we need to understand that as God's opened this door for us to go here, we really, really need to understand and grasp the fact that this is not a church. This is a church. What we're doing right here, right now, is loving God and loving people. That's what we are called to do. Look, I have friends now that are up here with me. Do you want to sit up here with me? No? All right, here, I'll give these back. He looks like a back. Thanks, dude. <laughs> so again, if you're watching online, our first week, um, we had talked about honor. We talked about why we struggle with honor. And I, I made the point that I said, the reason why we struggle with honor is because we see things as ordinary and common. And God sees them as extraordinary. And we show honor to others not because they deserve it, but because God showed honor to us first. And last week, we talked about purity. And we said that purity isn't really a forgotten virtue in the physical sense. Because in the physical world, we care a lot about purity. We care about the purity of our water, the purity of our food. But yet in the spiritual sense, we neglect purity. And what I made the point was to say, it's really the same in the physical and the spiritual when it comes to purity. We need to watch what we eat. In our physical bodies, we have to watch what we eat. But in our spiritual soul, we have to watch the things we're putting in, the content we're taking. And I really challenge you to really be in God's Word. 
And I hope this week that you got an opportunity to be in God's word and really read it and understand it. If you didn't and you're still struggling with that, let us know. We want to help with you and to learn how to be in God's word. But the second thing we talked about was we've got to eat right and we've got to exercise. We've got to exercise. And I made an analogy about my bicycle. And I said, my bike is great, it's awesome, it looks great, but it does me no good when it sits in my garage, does it? If I really want to be effective on my bike, I need to get on my bike and I need to ride it. And the other thing I said was, my bike has two pedals. And if I'm only using one pedal, I'm not going very fast, and I'm probably going to lose my balance too. And the two pedals we talked about in our spiritual sense are our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. We have to have both of those. If you're only praying and reading your Bible and, and you're not having a relationship with others, you're going to be out of balance. But the same is true if you, if you go and you socialize and you serve and you like being around people, but you're not in God's Word and you're not praying, you're not growing here, you're going to be out of balance. It's both of those things if we want to be pure. So today, we're going to talk about the forgotten virtue of loyalty. Loyalty is a forgotten virtue in our culture today. And to start this off with, I want to share with you a story that was written in Dogtime Magazine, all right? Apparently, earlier this year, there was a miniature schnauzer named Sissy. Sissy had escaped from her family's home, and her, her human, Dale Frannick, was grief-stricken. Not only had Dale lost this amazing little puppy, but his wife, Nancy, had just been admitted to the hospital. Dale looked everywhere for Sissy, but had no luck doing so. Well, several hours later, Dale got a call that someone had found his dog, Sissy. And it was the security guard at the hospital where his wife, Nancy, was the patient. Apparently, Sissy had traveled over 20 city blocks, crossed multiple busy roads, and made it inside the hospital, but apparently lost the scent of her owner when she got to the hospital and was confused about where to go. Talk about loyalty, right? Aren't dogs amazing? And here's what I would say. Don't we wish people were that loyal sometimes? <laughs> Don't we wish we could see that? People would go to whatever lakes, do whatever it takes at personal loss or danger, just to keep a relationship together? Isn't it sad that dogs are more loyal sometimes than people? But here's what I would contend. Um, we like dogs better than people because people are kind of messy. Can we just agree on that? People are kind of messy. We can get hurt. If we put ourselves out there, they can reject us. They can do things that hurt us. Dogs don't do that. They're usually loyal. So what I want to ask us today is, what is loyalty? I want you to think about that. What is loyalty? And while you're thinking about that, I want you to watch this video. We are in a series called Forgotten Virtues. We talked to some real people in God. Sorry. <laughs> we are in a series called Forgotten Virtues. We talked to some real people and got their take on the virtue of loyalty. Do you feel like people are loyal? Probably not as much as we were before. I think it's important and I think we've lost sight of it. Not as much as, as it used to be. I think uh, for the most part some people are loyal. Uh, other people are kind of, you know, ones that are looking for the best deal. Probably less loyalty than there used to be. I think they're loyal if they can, can have a benefit for, for being loyal. I think people are pretty loyal, you know, because they, they want to keep those friendships and, and have a relationship. And I think it's a good practice. And there again, there's other things that, that you don't, or aren't loyal to, or don't even 
even have any intentions to be loyal with. Considering the divorce rate is up there, I just wish people were more loyal to their partners and, and their jobs and everything else. It'd just be a lot nicer. It used to be where, you know, a good old handshake was, that's my contract with you, this is, I'm going to stick to it, this is, and now, you know, you have to sign paperwork for everything, and if you don't do something or you miss something, I'm suing you, I'm taking you to court, and, and so the good old handshake doesn't hold up well anymore. It's not what you, uh did for me yesterday is what you can do for me today. Maybe not like a self-sacrificial, unconditional loyalty, but if they can have something in return, then, then yeah, it's, it's a partnership, you know, but... Um, is that a real loyalty to you? No. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I think a loyalty would be one other big thing that we definitely should get back to us. So I want to take a survey here. For those of you who are in the room, if you're watching online, if you agree that you think loyalty is a forgotten virtue in our world, I want to show hands. Put your hand up if you think loyalty is forgotten. Okay, keep them up. If you're watching online, just give us a like so we'll count that as a survey. Now, I want you to keep your hand up if you think that you are a loyal person. If you think you're a loyal person, keep your hand up. Now, you see the problem? The only loyal people in Yankton are right here in this room. <laughs> we all think loyalty is important. We all think that loyalty is a forgotten virtue, and we would tell ourselves that we are loyal people. But, but here's what I would contend. I think we are loyal people to ourselves. We're really loyal to ourselves. And I love what that young lady said in the video. I hope you didn't miss it. She says, as long as the relationship benefits me, then I'm good at being loyal. And then remember the interview asked, was that really loyalty? She said, well, no, of course not. But that's our idea of loyalty. I'm great with you, I'm loyal, you're my friend, I'm going to stick with you until there's a problem, until there's a betrayal, until there's a hurt, until there's a conflict, then I'm out, I'm gone, I'm not going to be part of that. And that's why we don't understand the concept of loyalty. So if you got this note sheet here, and every week we have this, I'm going to pull this up again, this is a note sheet, on the back it's blank. It's blank for a reason because we need to take notes. And so I'm going to have you write some things down. It's going to be important later on, so you're going to want to write this down. So we're going to talk about three facts about loyalty. Three facts about loyalty. I'm going to give these to you, and then we're going to unpack them together, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Here's the first one. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Three facts about loyalty. The first one is it's not what you say. It's what you do. You've heard me say this before. There's a tongue in your mouth, and there's a tongue in your shoe. One of those two things always tells the truth. There's what I say, and there's what I do. And we've all had those situations where somebody would say, oh, I'm going to be there. Oh, you can count on me. And yet they don't show up. What really matters? See, here's the thing I would say about loyalty. When it comes to loyalty, our words don't actually matter. When it comes to loyalty, it's our actions that matter. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says this. Many claim to have an unfailing love, but a faithful person, who can find? Many people say they're loyal, but how many are actually loyal to what they can do? It's not what you say, it's what you do. Here's the second one. Again, you want to write these down. It's not what you get, it's what you give. It's not what you get, it's what you give. Investments are a big deal. We like investments. And what you do with an investment is you contribute to something hoping to get something out of your investment. That's what, how it works financially. And can I just say it? That's not a bad thing. We want to invest in things and get a return. That's not a bad thing. We do the same thing in relationships. 
Relationships are investments. Think of your relationships as an emotional bank account. You make deposits and you make withdrawals. But here's what happens, and here's the problem. A lot of our relationships, can we just say this? There's a lot more withdrawals than deposits. <laughs> if they're sitting next to you, don't look at them, don't throw them in elbow right now, okay? There's a lot of our relationships that we get more withdrawals than we do credits. And some of our relationships, can we just be honest, are emotionally bankrupt. And what do we do in those situations? When, when, when you give and you give, but you're not getting back, and you're not getting back, how can you still be loyal? Now, before we go on, there's something that I need to address, because this is very important when we're talking about loyalty. And we're talking about relationships, and relationships can be messy. I want to very specifically talk about relationships that I would consider abusive. Emotionally abusive, physically abusive, sexually abusive, maybe in marriages, those types of things. Those are uncomfortable things to talk about, but we need to talk about them. And I've heard pastors say that, you know, especially in a marriage, you should stay in the marriage no matter what. I want everybody to look right here. No, you shouldn't. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Here's what I want you to understand. Some relationships are abusive, and they're unhealthy. And if that is the case, you need to set some boundaries. Boundaries do not mean that you're being disloyal. You have to have boundaries in some of those relationships. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're like, okay, pastor, how can I tell if this relationship is unhealthy? How do I know if I have a healthy relationship? So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to give you a test, a gauge that you can give to see if this relationship is healthy or not. Here's how it works. If you say this to somebody, if somebody says, if you say this to somebody, you say, hey, when you say or do this, it really hurts my feelings or it makes me feel this way. If you say that to somebody, healthy people, stop doing it. <laughs> All right? Let, let, let me just give you a real practical, real personal. Okay? If you, if you say to your spouse, you know, when you, when you pee all over the top of the toilet seat, right, and I have to go down and I have to sit down, it, it, it's disgusting. All right? right? Healthy people, you know what healthy people do in that situation? Healthy people say, I'm so sorry that I did that. And then they do this. They don't say anything else. <laughs> All right? That's the hard part, right? Right? So, so what I want you to do is I want you to practice today. I want you to look at somebody next to you. I want you to say, I'm so sorry I hurt you. Go ahead. Do it. Now I want you to practice this. Now I want you to look at this and I want you to do this. <laughs> That's the hard part. Where am I going with this? See, this is what unhealthy people do. Unhealthy people don't say, I'm sorry. They also add something to it. This is what they usually add. They usually blame. They usually make excuses. They usually minimize their behavior. They justify it. They rationalize it. They might even lie to protect themselves from the hurt. So that's what I'm saying by boundaries. See, if you have people in your life who are unhealthy, and they're not respecting your space, they're not respecting who you are, you need to make sure that you set some boundaries in place. Because healthy people won't hurt you. You've heard this phrase before, love doesn't hurt. Love doesn't hurt. Love means, listen, even if I don't agree with you, even if I think that it's kind of silly, even if I think it's kind of weird, because I love you, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to say that. I don't want to hurt you, so therefore I'm not going to do that. That's what healthy people do. And just to take it a step further, a lot of these unhealthy relationships sometimes, sometimes they need counseling, and sometimes they even need legal action. Sometimes they need to have boundaries put in place legally to protect you, and that's okay to do. But coming back to loyalty, here's what it is. Our relationships are not what we get. Our relationships are what we give. 
Our relationships are not what we get. What do we give? Romans 12, 8. If you want to memorize a verse, this is a great verse to memorize. And it'll be up here on the screen. Actually, let's read this verse out loud together. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on who? As far as it depends on you. You can't always control people. Broken, sinful people will do broken, sinful things. Unhealthy relationships do happen. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you have emotionally bankrupt relationships, here are some things that you can do. Here are some things that you can give. You can give prayer. Do you know that people are helpless for our prayers? I found this out. This is a great little trick. If somebody's really doing something to hurt you or they're being really rude to you, do you know that you can go to God on their behalf every single moment and they can do nothing about it? And do you know that God, it actually pleases God when we do that? When we say, God, this person is just driving me crazy right now. God, I don't like this person. What they're doing is not okay. God, I, I just, God actually likes those prayers. Do you know that? And that person is powerless to stop you from doing that. That's a great thing to do. Here's another thing that you can do. If somebody's being emotionally bankrupt to you, you can refrain from gossiping about them. <laughs> you know what I want to do when somebody hurts me? I want to go and get a little group of people together. And I want to tell them all the bad things that this person did to me. And I want to get them on my side. And I want them to support all of my hurts and all of my pains. And then we can be mad at this person over here, right? That's what I want to do. You know what the Bible calls that? Sin. And you know what the Bible says about that? God stops working on your behalf when you gossip. That's in God's word. If somebody hurts you, you take it to God. You don't take it to other people. Because what is that going to gain? It's going to make it worse. The other thing that you can do with somebody who's emotionally unhealthy, we've talked about, set boundaries. Boundaries show love. Boundaries come from love. It says, listen, I love you. I want us to have a good relationship. But in order for our relationship to be where it needs to be, we need to stop this. Or even it's just this topic. Listen, when we're together, we're not going to talk about this. Because we don't see eye to eye. There's some problems with this. We're just going to take this issue. We're not going to talk about it. Please don't talk about this with me. That's a boundary. You don't have to lose your relationship. You just have to put that boundary in place. As a pastor, there's a lot of boundaries that I have to put up. And I've had to say that to people. I've had to say, listen, I love you. And, and I want you to keep coming to this church. But I want to let you know, if you keep talking to me about this, I'm not going to engage in it anymore. And you have to be respectful of this boundary. I've had it come to a place where I've had to tell people, listen, if you want to have a conversation with me, it has to be in person, and there has to be another person present. Because I love you and I want to protect you. And that's something that we have to do. Sometimes we have to set boundaries. But the goal is always, when we give, we always want to have restoration. Now, it's not always possible, right? Like Roman said, it's not always possible to have restoration. But that should always, always be our goal. It's how can we restore that relationship? Here's the third one we need to do. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Starters are a dime a dozen, finishers are one in a million. See, it's easy to show loyalty when things are going great, when it benefits us. The problem with loyalty is when life gets tough. When those things get hard, are you willing to stay the course? I just had this interesting situation happen in my life. I, uh, this last week, I accomplished something. And this is humble where I come, right? Um, I just completed my master's degree. Um, so, yeah. But here's why I'm telling you this. So, I managed to squeeze a, a two and a half year program into four years, okay? <laughs> so, when we started this program together back in 2017, uh, we had probably over 20 people, I forget the exact number, there was over 20 people in this group of people. 
And uh, I, as far as I know, I'm only the third one to finish. <laughs> you know why? Because it's hard, right? And things get hard, things get difficult. Do you know why most relationships end in your life? It's because things get hard. <laughs> it, it gets tough. And, and, and it's easier, sometimes it feels easier just to give up and walk away. And just to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and there was many times I thought that with my master's degree. I'm like, oh, I don't think it was going to happen. In fact, there were seasons where I just didn't do anything with it, okay? But, but God wants us to finish what we start. Look at Proverbs 17, 7. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Do you know what all times mean? A friend loves at all times? That means all the time. Right? Loyalty means we walk in when the rest of the world is walking out. It's really easy to wound somebody and walk away. But that's not what loyalty means. Loyalty is how you finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Do you stay the course no matter what? Now, hopefully you wrote those three principles down. Hopefully you understand what we just went through because here's what I'm going to do for you. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. And if you're watching online, we have the YouVersion app. We talk about that. It's a free app on any smartphone or device. I want you to go to the book of 1 Samuel. And what I'm going to do in the rest of our time together here today is I'm going to walk you through how this looks in a very important relationship in the Bible. And you've heard me preach this before, but this is the relationship between two kings. There's King Saul and King David. Both were kings in Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. And you've heard me talk about this before, but if you're not familiar, basically God set up the nation of Israel. He said, I am your king. I am going to be your leader. I'm going to be your God. And the nation of Israel looked around at all the other countries and said, what well, we always say as, parents, as kids to our parents sometimes, I want to be just like all the other kids. <laughs> all the other countries have a king, God. Why can't we have a king? And it broke God's heart. God said, I'm your king. But obviously, since I'm not a good enough king, I guess I'll give you a king. And he gave him a king named Saul. And, and the problem with Saul, Saul started off as a good king. But Saul had one problem. And that was he cared more about what other people thought of him than what God had already said about him. Church, that's a fatal flaw. And Paul, Saul, throughout his kingship, he would always care more about what other people, the people were saying, than what God told him to do. And eventually it came to a point where God said, that's it, Saul. You're no longer going to be king. Now, God didn't remove Saul from the kingship. He allowed him to stay in king, but he said, your kingship, your kingdom is going to end with you. None of your children will succeed you as king. Your house will be over and will end with you. And as many of you know, there was another guy by the name of David who God anointed, or the word we'll use is called. We don't use the word anointed a lot, but God anointed David to be the next king of Israel. God said to David, when Saul's king ends, you are my next chosen king. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we first meet David, and we first learn of God's call for his life. Now, why am I using this specific relationship to talk about loyalty? I don't want you to miss this truth. Because David was loyal to Saul his entire life. Think about what I just said. God has installed Saul to be king. Because of the choices that Saul had made and Saul rejecting God, God said, Saul, when you die, there's going to be a new king and it won't be any of your kids. And it's going to be this guy, David. You know what I would have done if I were David? <laughs> I'd have sat back in my house and said, all right, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I'll just sit back, I'll wait, and as soon as you're done, I'm just going to step in and I'm going to be king. 
But if you know the lesson, you know that's not what David did. In fact, that's the opposite of what David did. In chapter 17, now, what I'm going to do here is we're going to take kind of a flyby view of this, all right? Because I want you to understand this. But here's what I want you to understand. This week, when you read your Bible, I want you to walk through these chapters. I'm going to give you these chapters. I want you to write them down. And in your life groups this week, you're going to be walking through some of these as well. But I want you to understand these. I'm going to speak about them to make the points that we were talking about loyalty. For example, chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David and Goliath. One of the most famous stories in all the Bible, David and Goliath, right? And this is how I heard the story of David and Goliath. Maybe you heard the same way. Great, big, giant Goliath, big, scary guy. The whole army is afraid of Goliath. And little tiny David, this little tiny boy, comes up with a rock and a sling and takes down the giant and wins the day. How many heard the story that way? Okay, I'm going to go a little deeper on it for, you, for that. Here's what, here's what I want you to miss. Remember what I said the first chapter right before that, chapter 16? What just happened to David? He was the anointed king. That happened before Goliath. That's important. The second part that you need to understand, the whole army of Israel was not afraid of Goliath. That's not true. What happened was Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. Goliath would come down and he would challenge the army. He said, you send out your best soldier and I'll fight him. And if I kill him, we win. And if you, then he kills me, you guys win. That's how they settled this thing. And all the soldiers were not afraid of Goliath. There was one guy who was afraid of Goliath. Guess who it was? Saul. Don't miss that, church. Goliath was Saul's battle to fight. And Saul, who, by the way, was the anointed king of the living God, was scared and hiding in his tent. And all the men weren't afraid of Goliath. They were waiting for Saul to get off his back and say a rear end and go out and do his job and be the leader. But what did Saul do instead? Saul said, I will give my daughter, I will give you all this money. If anybody else will go and take care of this for me. See where Saul's heart's at? When David showed up on the scene, he wasn't the little tiny shepherd boy that had the food for his brothers and sisters. He was God's anointed leader. He took one look at that Philistine and he said, who dare you speak against my living God? And he was burning with passion because he said, I'm going to take this giant down. And he went to Saul. Why? Because he understood loyalty. He knew that he was the anointed leader, but he went to Saul, who was king, and he said, listen, who's going to take down this guy? You know what he wasn't being said? Hey, by the way, it should be you, dummy. That's what he could have said, right? That's what I might have said. And what did Saul do if you know the story? Saul did what unhealthy people do. He tried to sabotage David. He had him dressed in all his armor, all his soldiers. He said, go out and fight him, David. David's like, I don't need any of this stuff, dude. I'm just going to go out there with my rock and my sling because my God's bigger than that giant. Don't you get it? <laughs> and David went out and you know the rest of the story. He took down that Goliath. He took down that giant. But it doesn't end there, church. If you go to chapter 18, again, write this down. The Philistines didn't go away once Goliath was dead. They continued to fight the army of Israel. And David didn't go home. David was the most popular person in Israel at that point. He could have went back again, sat back and sat on his Lord and said, hey, someday I'll be king. You know what he did instead? He went out and put his life on the line, continuing to fight for King Saul against these enemies. And it goes even deeper. Chapter 20. David was faithful to Saul's son, Jonathan. They developed a friendship. Think about how awkward this would be. When Saul dies, guess who's supposed to be king? Jonathan, his son. Jonathan knows that. 
David knows that. And David said, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be loyal to you, even though I don't need to be. And why is that? Let's go back to our first point. It's not what David said, it's what he did. David showed over and over and over again that he was loyal to Saul. He would defeat the Goliath, giant, giant Goliath. He would battle the Philistines. And he would take care and protect Saul's family. Because it's not what he said, it's what he did. Well, as you can imagine, Saul, who is an unhealthy person, remember we talked about this, he didn't respond very positively to David's loyalty. He didn't. And in fact, Saul became insanely jealous of David, recognized that not only was David the anointed king, now he's more popular than Saul. So being a small, unhealthy person, Saul decided that he was going to try to kill David. And at the end of chapter 20, David had a flee for his life. Remember what I said earlier about setting boundaries? David said, listen, Saul, I'm here for you. I'm not trying to get you. I'm not trying to do anything. And Saul tried to kill David. And David said, you know what? i got to go. Because if I stay here, you are going to kill me. This is a boundary that David set. And then it sets up one of the great, one of my all-time favorite Bible lessons. It, it, it is, is how does Saul react to David's fleeing? If you remember, Saul said, I'm going to find that little guy and I'm just going to kill him. So Saul takes a whole army. Keep in mind, there's an enemy force that's actually coming to actually attack Israel. And Saul's wasting his time taking his men and army, chasing David, who has no business being chased. He's a fugitive without cause. And Saul is chasing through all the mountains and all the, trying to find David. And David and his men are hiding in a cave. And this is the second reason why this is my favorite story, is because it talks about pooping in the Bible. All right, I'm a little mature. All right, but here's where it comes. Saul's walking along with all these people. And the Bible says Saul needed to relieve himself, right? You know what he had to do? He had to take a dump. All right, can I just say that? <laughs> and out of all the caves, out of all the wilderness, in all of Judea, Saul goes into a cave because, you know, he's the king, right? Everybody else just goes in front of him. He can get to go in private, go in the cave, stop everybody, right? I got to go use the bathroom. He goes in the cave, out of all the caves, and all the wilderness, and all of Judea, guess who's in the cave where Saul goes? David. David. David and his men are hiding in the back of this cave. Here's Saul in the most vulnerable position anybody could ever be in. And David's homeboys are back there going, dude, this is your chance. This is the moment God talked about. Go up there and kill him. Stand up. You're done. You're free. God has delivered him into your hands. And you know what David said, church? Don't miss this. He said, who am I to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed? He had every reason to do it. He had every opportunity to do it. And everybody would have celebrated that except for one person. You know who that was? God Almighty. He said, God has chosen me to be the king. And if I take matters into my own hands, I'm going to shortcut the plan that God has for my life. I will not raise my hand against the one that we did. And this isn't in my notes, but it's worth saying again. I said this two weeks ago. If you speak ill of a pastor in this community, you're going to see a righteous leader coming in pastor. Because I want to tell you something. Who are you speaking against the Lord's anointed? If there's a pastor who's leading a church, that's your job to be faithful and be loyal to them. And if they're being unhealthy and they're being un un unspiritual, by all means, there's process and procedure to go through that. But take a lesson from King David. And David comes out, if you know the rest of it, again, we're just kind of taking a fast forward through this. David comes out of the cave and he says, Saul, look what I could have done. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here because I love you. I'm trying to be loyal to you, buddy. Stop chasing me. Let's go fight the enemy that we're supposed to be fighting against. And Saul does what unhealthy people do. 
Saul says, oh, David, I'm so sorry. Yes, you're right. I should have never. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so sorry. I'm real tired. Please come back. And David said, okay, I forgive you. But I'm going to keep this boundary in place. I'm not going to come back and live with you, Saul. I appreciate what you said, but I'm going to keep the boundary in place. Good thing David did, because if you go to chapter 26, just one chapter later, Saul's back out doing it again. Saul becomes jealous of David, and he tries to go kill him again. And again, if you want, I want you to read this, church. I want you to go back and see this. David had a chance to kill Saul again. Saul is sleeping in camp, and David sees him, and again, his homeboys are telling him, here's your chance, go take care of Saul. And he said the same thing he said before. Who am I to speak against the Lord's Who am I to raise a hand against him? And he says to Saul again, look, dude, I could have killed you again. It's the second time that I spared your life. Now, I want you to take your notes out again. Remember point two? It's not what you get, it's what you give. This is what David got from Saul. David got hate. David got jealousy. David literally got chased for his entire life. Do you know what David gave Saul in return? He gave him grace. He gave him patience. He gave him forgiveness. You know, this is the crazy part for me. David gave Saul public praise. Why would he do that? Because he never lost sight of the vision that God had given and the hope of restoration. So to just kind of wrap it up in case you don't know the rest of it, Saul and his entire family ended up being overtaken in the battle with the Philistines. And if you can read this in 2 Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul and his entire family were overtaken by the Philistines and killed in battle. These two knuckleheads, the Bible didn't call them knuckleheads, I call them knuckleheads. Um, if you know the lesson, I'll back up. Um, Saul knew he was going to die. Saul had his, his right-hand guy say, hey, just go ahead and kill me. And the guy said, I'm not going to kill you. So Saul ended up following his own sword. Um, there's a couple knuckleheads that found him laying there dead. And so they said they're going to be the guys to go tell David that now Saul is dead. But they decide, again, they're knuckleheads. They decide to kind of sweeten the deal a little bit. They said, you know what we should tell David? We should tell David that we actually killed Saul. Right? Then he'll be happy with us. And he went, and they told David, they said, guess what, David? Guess what, David? Saul's dead, and we found him. And Saul was like, please kill me. So he said, okay, give us all I guess. And so we killed him. So we killed him, and now you're king. You know what David did to those two knuckleheads? Yeah, and executed Because he said, how dare you raise your hand against the Lord's anointing? <laughs> kind of fooled their plan a little bit, right? They're kind of knuckleheads. David did something kind of unique. David gathered the bodies of Saul and all of Saul's sons. Risking his own life, by the way, going to enemy territory to do that. He not only buried Saul and all his sons, but he mourned them with Israel. He wrote a beautiful psalm in remembrance of Saul and his sons. And then once David was installed as king in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Saul decided that he was going to honor one of, David decided he was going to honor one of Saul's relatives. David discovered that one of Saul's family members had actually survived, and David brought this guy into his family and took care of him for the rest of his life. Look back at your notes and go to point three. It's not how David started. It's how he finished. David didn't owe Saul anything, especially not loyalty. But yet, even in death, David was loyal and honored Saul. And the question is, why? The question is, why, David? Why would you do that? 
Saul never did anything to you but showed you evil and showed you harm. Yet you continue to be loyal to him over and over and over again. David, why are you doing that? Church, I want to tell you. Because it applies not only to Saul, but it applies to us and anyone in our life who we have an unhealthy relationship with. And, and I want you to write this down or think about this. It's not what Saul did to David. It's what God had done for David. I'm going to say that again. It's not what Saul had done to David. It's what God had done for David. Psalm 103. This is what David writes about his Lord, his God. He says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Church, that's the God that David served. David looked at Saul and he said, Listen, I know that you're not doing the right thing. I know that there's things that are not okay. But I want to tell you something. Look at what my God's done for me. And my God has blessed me. I'm this little shepherd boy, the least of my family, and God has called me to be king. So I'm going to be faithful because my God is faithful. Church, do you know what God owes me? God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe David anything. Except for one thing, and that's eternal separation from him. See, we serve a holy God. And, and God's standard is perfection. You might say, well, that's a pretty high standard. Yep, it is. And you can't compromise on that. That's why purity is a big deal. God's standard is holiness is perfection. And can I just tell you something? David and everyone in this room fails on that. But here's the hope, and this is why I love Easter so much. This is why Easter's coming up. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you and I to get it right before he came. He sent Jesus down to die on the cross. He took care of that for us before we even deserved it. God sent his son for us and remains loyal to us. So church, that's what we can do for our life. David understood that. And we need to understand it too when we can understand loyalty. You know, one of the phrases that I hear a lot about, and I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm going to be careful with this. Um, I, it really kind of burns me a little bit. And, I, and I've been guilty of this too, but if you've said this or if you've been saying this, you really need to stop. Um, if you've ever told somebody, you know what, you should just go to hell. Or, or, or if you said to somebody, you know, I, I hope they burn in hell. If you've ever said that or you've thought that, you need to really ask for forgiveness about that. Because here's what I want to tell you something. And I want everybody to look right here. No, you don't. If you think that or you've said that, you've had what I call a cartoon version of what hell is. You see a little guy in a pitchfork and, and, and you know red underwear and you know flames and like a little bonfire and you think something like that. Can I do something? That's not hell. Hell is two words. You might want to write these down. Eternal separation. If you have ever lost a loved one, you know exactly what it's like to feel that separation. You know exactly what it's like to feel that hurt and that pain of not being able to see, touch, or hear them again. Can I help you something, church? That's what's going to happen in our lives. We will be eternally separated from all goodness and all lovingness and all relationships. I can't be okay with that. But, but before you do that, that's the good news of Easter, right? That's why we don't have to do that, church. That's why Jesus came. And that's the hope that we have. That's why when you have those little cards, and I hope you have them, I hope you hand them out. When you hand them to somebody, what you're saying to them is you're saying, listen, I have a hope. And it's in Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to experience that pain, that hurt, that separation because of the love of God. And that's why we can value people and understand that. And when it comes back to loyalty, we're going to go through these again. The three facts about loyalty. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Do your actions match your words? The one thing that you can do today or this week is take one of those cards, co-worker, a neighbor, a family member, and just say, I want, I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to come and be part of that. It's not what you get, it's what you give. Are you more concerned what you get out of a relationship than what you give to it? Think about David. Think about all that he gave to Saul and how it was not only not appreciated, it was met with hostility and anger, but yet he continued to give and give and give. And the last one is it's not how you start, it's how you finish. If you're here today and you think that you've done it, or if there's a relationship that you think is way beyond repair, can I tell you something? My God has hope. And, and I don't care where, what you've done or where you've been, welcome home. We're glad that you're here. It's always about how you finish. You know when I tell you something about Saul? Do you know why I think David honored Saul in his burial and all of the times that he had there with him at the end? I think David had a hope that Saul in his last moments actually repented and could be with Jesus again. I hope that. I think David had that hope. I think we should all have that hope. My Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all come repentance. He's a patient God. And I believe that for our community as well. Do you stay the course? And church, I just want to thank you again. I've said this multiple times, but I want to say it to you again. This past year has been a difficult year for so many people. It's been a difficult year in the life of our church. And there's so many of you who have stayed the course and have said, I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to love people the way God wants me to be. And I just want to thank you for that. But I want to go back to the beginning when we talked about that little sissy, that little puppy, right? That one found her owner way in the hospital. And I'm just going to challenge you, family. How far would you go? How far would you go to find those who are lost? What links would you go to? What offenses would you overlook? What relationships would you attempt to restore? What boundaries would you set to go after people? Because can I help you with something? You know what my God did for me? He came all the way down to earth and he gave his life. He died a sinner's death so that I could live. And all we could do is the exact same to return that to our God. Let's pray. God, this message was a lot harder to preach than it probably was to hear, but I'm trusting you in this. And God, I know that there was probably hurts and pains in this room that I have no clue about. There's probably some, some situations that maybe go back years. And God, I'm no way going to minimize those or belittle them, but God, I, I just want us right now in this moment to look at those hurts and those pains in view of the cross. And just as David did, just as David had a desire for restoration with Saul, God, and, and not only for his relationship with Saul, but Saul's relationship with you. God, I pray that that would be our desire as well. God, we all raised our hands and said that we think we're loyal people. Well, now it's time to put our money where our mouth is. God, help us to do what we say. Help 
promise to give and not hoping to get out of it. And God, help us to finish what you've started. And I thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity this Easter Sunday where we literally get to invite the entire community of Yankton who doesn't have a church home to come and hear what you did on the cross and how that eternal separation can be a distant memory and a thing of the past. And we can know. We don't have a hope, God. We have a faith that we know that we will be with you together forever with all those we love. And God, I pray that we would bring as many people with us as we can. And God, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice who maybe feels like they're unworthy, who maybe feels like they're too far gone, or maybe feels like, like you'll never forgive the things that they've done, God, I pray right now that they would receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. God, I pray that today, this day, March 21st, would be the day that they finally surrender to you and say, not my will be done, God, but thy will be done. God, we're all deserving of that eternal separation. God, we all have failed, but you love us and you die for that. And God, there's forgiveness in that. So if there's anybody in this room or, or listening online, God, who just did that right now, God, I celebrate that. We know that all of heaven is rejoicing too as well. And God, I pray for the hundreds more in our community who are going to come to that same joy when we as your church truly understand what it means to be loyal. God, we thank you and we praise you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at the Minerva's Convention Center. We also broadcast this time live online from our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, Celebrate Yankton. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share it with others. Thank you.